I, perhaps you've had those experiences when you've gone to a movie theater and you've watched a movie and at the very end of the movie, the screen fades to black. And after the screen fades to black, you begin to look down at the chair underneath you to find your empty popcorn tub or your purse or your jacket or your coat and you gather your items and then just after you have all of your things, you begin to push yourself up out of the chair on your arms. And right as you stand up, Instead of seeing the screen fade to the credits, there's another video that starts to play. There's a little hook that the screenwriters or the producers or the directors have decided to tell a little bit more of the story. They want to hook you for the sequel to the story. Maybe this has happened when you're at home watching a good Netflix television show and, and people are so good at writing stories in this way that they'll hook you not just for to wait for the next episode, but for 11 months down the road to watch the next season of this television show. And in a sort of way, I think that's what the conclusion of Mark's gospel is like. It feels like the story is over and done. It's concluded at the end of Mark chapter 15. The screen fades to black, and then all of a sudden, a new little vision, a new little story pops up. And that's what our Easter story is about today on Mark chapter 15 and Mark chapter 16. So wherever you may be this Sunday, I invite you to open up a Bible and to look at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 to the end of 15, and then we will read chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Listen to God's word. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. 
And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At the very end of Mark chapter 15, it feels like the story is over and done, like the screen has faded to black. Joseph of Arimathea goes to see Pilate to procure Jesus' body, and in sort of beautiful imagery, Joseph wraps Jesus in linen cloth, much like at the beginning of the other Gospels when Jesus was wrapped in linen cloth and then laid into a manger in his birth. So now he is wrapped in cloth and laid into a tomb. The centurion confirms for Pilate that Jesus is dead. The stone is rolled in front of the tomb. The story is over, frankly, friends. At the end of Mark chapter 15, it's over. Jesus is dead. Jesus is inside of the tomb. The stone has been rolled in front of it. The screen fades to black. The story's over. And just as you think the story's over and you begin to stand up and you begin to make your way out of that theater, out of reading the gospel of Mark, all of a sudden, another scenario takes place. Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome decide to buy some spices so that they might go properly anoint Jesus' body in the tomb. And even they themselves think the story is over too because they're talking to one another as they're walking to the tomb saying, how are we going to roll away the stone that's in front of the tomb for it's so large we may not be able to do it ourselves. So they get to the tomb and and the stone is rolled away. They go inside the tomb and to their amazement, to their surprise, to their alarm, Jesus' body isn't there. They can't do the very thing that they went to go do, which was to put these spices on Jesus' body. He's gone, but there is a young man dressed in a white robe, an angel of the Lord. And this angel begins to speak to those three and tells them the good news, that Jesus of Nazareth is not here. He has been raised from the dead, and he goes before them to Galilee. He goes before them to Galilee. This is a really beautiful and profound conclusion to Mark's gospel, my friends. And I love this story, even if it ends in a particularly frightening way, because once they hear these words from the angel, instead of going to Galilee, terror and amazement seize them. They flee the tomb, and they go right back to their lives in Jerusalem, instead of going to see the resurrected and risen Jesus. It's a frightening conclusion to the story, But I think it's a really powerful conclusion to the story because what it evokes in me as I read this is not a theological triumph. It's not an answer to all of our questions, but it's a question posed back to the readers and the hearers of Mark's gospel. It's a question posed to you and to I on this Easter Sunday. And the question is this. Jesus goes before you Jesus goes before you. Will you be seized in terror and amazement and flee to Jerusalem? Or will you go to Galilee? Will you go to Galilee and will you allow your lives and who you are to be a genuine witness that Jesus has been raised from the dead? This is the final question that's spoken to the readers and the hearers of Mark's gospel. 
And in that way, it's a circular story. Mark's gospel has always been about wondering who will follow Jesus, who will know, who will understand, who will have a perception of the things that are happening right in front of them. And now's the final question. Will you go to Galilee? Will you know that Jesus, the risen one, goes before you? And will you go to Galilee? Or will you flee back to Jerusalem? Over the past few weeks, I've had a chance to do just a little bit of reading. Not as much reading as I hoped to do in this time. It's hard to read books when you have a two-year-old running around everywhere. But I was able to pull off of my bookshelf a book that was given to me by a friend of mine, a rabbi. And this rabbi gave me a book by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And the name of the book is Man's Quest for God. It's a beautiful book, and I have loved reading it for the past few weeks. The first half of the book is about prayer. And I don't want to even quote it for you because it's so beautiful and poetic that I feel like I would do it a disservice to read to you just a few lines. It's, it's the totality of it that is frankly beautiful. But what I have learned from reading this book about prayer is that so often when we think about prayer, we think about these words that are coming out of our mouth. We think about closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and, and saying words to God. But what I have been learning from Rabbi Heschel is that prayer is not so much the words that come out of our mouth, but it's opening up our hearts for God's movement toward us. Prayer is not our movement towards God, but God's movement towards us and opening our hearts to that experience, opening up our ears and our eyes in all of the ways in which we might perceive God to be aware of that. That is prayer, receptive to God's movement towards us. I think inside of the tomb was a deep and profound possibility for prayer. Right here were these three that went inside of the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They don't find Jesus' body, but they have an angel. Angel means messenger of God. And this messenger of God says to them that Jesus has been raised and Jesus goes before them into Galilee. This is a moment of prayer. The divine is moving towards them. The divine has been moving towards them throughout all of these chapters in Mark's gospel, but it finally moves one more time with great news that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and will you know that that one goes before you and go to Galilee? This is a moment of prayer, of opening up heart to God. Many, many years ago now, back in 2005, I think, it was between the years of my being a sophomore and a junior in college, a long, long time ago now. And when I was uh, in that season of life, I was living in the state of Washington, and I went home to the state of Colorado for the summer for a variety of reasons, so that I could see old friends and see people I knew and live there for a few months. And while I was there, my best friend, his father, was the general manager of a Marriott hotel, and he got me a job working at the hotel as a bellman. I loved this job. It was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. I love being a pastor, but there's something really fun about taking people's bags to their hotel room and driving their nice cars and parking them for them. Um, it was very fun. I loved this job. And I would always work from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And so there'd always be a lot of things to do in the afternoon. But then between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m., my job was simply to stand at the front doors of the hotel 
to wait for a car to arrive or to open the door for someone. But often in those two-hour stretches, there'd be nothing for me to do. I would just be standing there. Luckily, I had this beautiful view of a mountain range in front of me. But what I loved about that time between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. is that it was a time of prayer. Not so much me speaking, because if I was talking out loud, my boss might wonder if I was sane or not when he looked out at me. But really, it was a season in which I was afforded the possibility of opening up my heart to God, allowing myself to hear divine speech. Though I had moved back to Colorado, Colorado and Washington were really metaphors for my life. Colorado was a time that was before Christ, and Washington was a time in which I was following Christ really truly for the first time in my life, that I was seeking after God and becoming a disciple and following Jesus. And I kept hearing God say to me in that time, Kurt, how will you use your education to further my kingdom? Like, what is your life going to be doing in service of me instead of just the life that you want to have? How will your life be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That was a profound time of prayer in my life, of opening up my heart to God and hearing God say to me, Kurt, Kurt, Jesus goes before you. Go to Galilee. Don't stay in Colorado. Don't stay in Jerusalem. Don't stay in this tomb. Go to Galilee. Go see the risen Jesus. Don't stay here. It's really hard to capture in words what the last month has been like for people living life here in the Bay Area, in the country, in the world. I've tried my best to communicate with a wide spectrum of folks in our church community about what this has been like for them. And it runs the widest range you can possibly imagine. There's some people for whom this week has been, this last month has been the most challenging time of their life. They lost their job, their pay got cut, they're really nervous and worried about what the next month means for them and the month after that means for them. If they'll be able to pay for rent, pay their mortgage, they're really concerned about their future. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I've spoken to people that say this is the best time of their life, that they're spending more time together now with their family than they've ever spent before in their life. They're having, frankly, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with their family every day, and they're loving this opportunity to have this rich experience of being together as family, when otherwise they would be scrambling and everywhere. This last month has been a bizarre experience. The spectrum is super wide, so it's hard to generalize in such a way to say this is what this has been like for everyone. One particular high school student I talked to said that they are more relaxed now than they ever have been in their life. And I thought that was profound. They live a life that's busy from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. normally, and now they're more relaxed than they've ever been. And as I heard this high school student tell me this, I kept imagining in my mind, friends, this is a time of prayer. This is a time of prayer in which we're living right now. Because one day when everything, quote unquote, goes back to normal, quote unquote, goes back to the way things used to be, will that high school student really want to go back to that life of busyness from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m.? Will that high school student want to continue to live the same kind of life that they were living prior to this? I wonder. And I wonder if they wonder that as well and if they are opening up their hearts right now in prayer to hear divine speech, to hear God say to them, maybe all of those things that you were doing and investing in your life 
We're really about some other kinds of goals or ends rather than following after the risen Jesus. Maybe this is a time to begin to open up your heart and to ask these new questions about, God, what do you want from my education? God, what do you want from my life? What do you want from my vocation? What do you want from my family? What do you want from me? And to hear that divine speech, to trust that Jesus goes before you, and then to go to Galilee. It's going to be a tough next month or two months, but this can be a profound time of prayer, friends. God will speak to you. God will speak to you. Last year, on the Youth Mexico mission trip, it's such a wonderful experience, and I'm so sad that I didn't get to go a couple of weeks ago on the Youth Mexico mission trip this year. I love that trip so much, and one of the things I love about that trip is that Every evening, it's kind of in that time of dusk when the sun begins to set and we uh, finish dinner and before we have our worship time together, Amore Ministries, who we partner with, they bring in a bunch of different vendors from the community to make local cuisines for us. And it is so delicious, my friends. People tell me it's the best carne asada they've ever had in their life. And they have these delicious beverages like horchata, and my favorite are the churros. They are my favorite. I love the churros. They're the best. And so this one particular evening last year, I got in line to go get some churros. And the line was really long. It took about 20 minutes to get from the back of the line to the front of the line. But it's worth it. So I'm standing in the line. And four boys behind me, four junior boys behind me, get in line right behind me. And these boys are laughing and giggling the entire time. These boys have been laughing and giggling all week. I'm not sure if you know what it sounds like to hear grown men giggle, but these were grown boys giggling and laughing the whole time. And about 10 minutes through the line, I turned around and I looked at them and I said, boys, what is so funny? And they looked at me and they said, Pastor Kurt, it's not that one thing is funny, it's that everything is funny this week. This is the best week of my life. This is the best week of all of our lives this week. All of the pressures I've experienced, they're not there. I don't have to do the work that I have to do. I don't have to do these sports. I don't have to do these other things that I feel like I'm supposed to do so that I can get into this school or so that I can do that. Instead, I'm building houses for these poor people. I really feel like my life matters in this way and I'm doing a really meaningful thing. I'm worshiping together with people. I'm eating meals face to face. I don't have a cell phone here. This has been the best week of my life. I love this. It's not that one thing is funny, it's that everything is funny. Oh, when I heard those boys tell me that, I thought, they've been praying this week. They've been praying this week. Their hearts have been opened to God. Their hearts have been opened to God maybe for the first time in their life. And beyond just hearing God speak to them, beyond just hearing God say, boys, I love you, Jesus goes before you, they have begun to go to Galilee. They're going to Galilee, right? They are building houses for the poor. They're praying, they're worshiping. They've begun to rethink and reframe their whole lives from what everybody else expects of them to what God might want from my life and how I might be a person who gives witness to the risen Jesus in everything I do. See, at the end of Mark's gospel, 
this question that's asked to the readers and the hearers of the text, the hook in the story, is not just a theological hooray of Christ is risen as it is in some of the other gospels, but the hook is, friends, will we live as if the risen Jesus is alive right now? Will we go to Galilee? Will we trust and know that Jesus goes before us? That's the Easter message from Mark's gospel. Jesus goes before you. Will you go to Galilee? Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, that is who you are. You are filled with grace and filled with love. And on this day, we know that more than ever. As we pray and we open up our hearts to you, God, I ask that you would take this season of life and you would speak to us more clearly than we've ever been spoken to, that we may have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to know, and feet to walk to Galilee. Lord, we love you and we lift up this Easter Sunday to you. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.